0: Share what God's laid on your heart for us, please. Stay down here go up there, grab one of these for every one of these. Okay, maybe I'll bring this. How about I bring this down? That'd be fine. Y'all pretty informal here. Uh well it's good to be. I didn't really know when you get out in the country here. I'm not a country boy, and uh I kind of got the feeling that maybe I was lost, and uh, Craig gave me directions, and somehow I ended up, I guess, in Milford, but I didn't, because I thought the system part was fairly small, and Milford seemed kind of like, not that it's a booming metropolis by any means, but uh, a little bit bigger than what I thought, and so she said, this was about 1015, (laughs) and she says, it's 12 miles down to the stop sign, turn left. And, uh, and so I moved rather quickly uh, to get down there. And eventually I, I, I made it here. And so it's really good to be uh, surprised to see Brad. When I, I mean, I don't, Brad's, been, uh, y'all probably know we go on the New York City missions trip. You've heard of that. Uh, we just came back in July. We, we brought 366 people out to New York City. It's kind of crazy. This from all over the nation. Uh, we. Uh, do three primary things when we're there. And you can sign up for which one you want to do. And so uh, one of the things we do is we do sports camps. And, of course, Brad is a phenomenal basketball player. And uh, they had this amazing winning streak going on in the in, the, in the South Bronx there. Was it was about four or five years ago, six years ago, something like that. And uh, it's a way to reach out to children uh, through both soccer and basketball camps. And then another thing we do... If you, If you're ever interested in in Vacation Bible School, we actually run the Vacation Bible School for the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And so that's crazy and wild as it can be, you know, lots and lots of kids. And so if you sign up for the trip and decide to go do that, then you would do that the entire week. And we have about 100 of the 360-some people that go that just work the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And then the last uh, track of ministry, which is probably my favorite, is that you go out and you do prayer stations. Or uh, and uh, do ministry in the parks we're doing religious questionnaires but when the prayer stations we set these kind of tables up it's kind of crazy and had this PVC pipe coming up and a banner at the top that says prayer station and people flock to them we pray with almost 5,000 people in one week in New York City and they come to you so it's pretty unintimidating and you'll hear about every type of problem you've ever heard of and uh, get a chance to pray with them and share Christ with them and um and so it's uh, and i'm not here to i'm not come to promote the trip but since i saw brad and so i think wow uh brings back the new york days and so we've been doing it now 17 years going to new york city and uh and uh this coming weekend is a special time in people's hearts It will be the 10th anniversary of september the 11th there and um and so uh encourage you, if you're ever uh, ever interested, we'd love to have you come on the trip. Um, Everyone here loves a good story. Uh, That's how we really communicate with one another. When we engage one another, uh, when you come into the the church or you uh, see one another, you engage one another by sharing a story with one another about what happened in your life yesterday, what was going on. That's really how we communicate, and people say, "Well, I'm not really a good storyteller," but you really are because it's really how you communicate with one another. Um, And ever since you were a little child, you adults here, you can probably remember uh, when you sat on your mother's lap, and uh, and she began reading you those fairy tales, you know, once upon a time, and proceeded to read you the fairy tale, and and usually it ended with those famous words, and they all lived happily. After. So from the very beginning of life, you love stories, and uh, you love books, uh, you, you love movies because they tell stories, you, you love plays because they tell stories, and uh, the reason you love each of those venues is because each one of those tell a story in a certain way, and um, we also usually love stories that have uh, a good ending don't we? I mean, we don't usually love to go to movies, and all of a sudden, it's a horrific ending that you didn't like. You probably wouldn't want to go back and see that movie or play again. Uh, Every Christmas, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, The Christmas Carol, comes out. And of course, that has a special place, I think probably... In all of our hearts when we see that, because it's a story of redemption, how uh, Ebenezer Scrooge uh, over the process of time uh, learns his lessons from the ghost of past, present, and future, and he changes. And Bob Cratchit, a poor guy that works for him, uh, and he's not, he doesn't have much money, he's got a little boy, Tiny Tim, that's sick. And you see all this story culminating together, where Scrooge has changed, Crispus uh, at the Cratchit house is a happy one because Tiny Tim is, is, going, is going to be okay and, and, and things turn out the way they're supposed to be. But we'll just say, let's say that, that, that play didn't end that way. Let's say you go to the play, let's say you go to Chicago and, and, you, and you walk into the theater there and you watch the play but at the end you realize things have changed because Scrooge ends up at the end of the play, he's still a He's still a miser. You know, and, and, uh, bah, humbug! And Tiny Tim dies. Let's say the curtain closes at that moment. Would you ever want to go back and see it again? No. You'd be like, that's horrible. We desperately want the story that we're wanting, watching, uh, listening to, or reading to have a good ending. And the reason that is, is because that's, there's something within us that's eternal that god has placed there that helps us desire to have that proper ending when i go on the illinois state campus and i I go there and i go out and i do religious questionnaires to people and sometimes i'll go up to students i say do you love movies and they go well yeah i I do i said i bet you love those movies that have a good ending don't you and the girl said to me well well, yeah i do and i looked at her i said, why do you need that and she thought for a moment, and she says, I guess it's because I want it for, my, for myself. You know, it, it's interesting that for a brief, brief moment of time, uh, we step out of the chaos of life, and we go to a play. And, and uh, we step out of the chaos of life and, and go to a movie for two hours. And we step out of that which is, which is real into that which is non-real, that which is fiction but something compels us to do that and and and, and when we go to those movies and those plays uh, there's something within that 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 draws us uh, to certain truths that are there and I really believe it to be is that um, every one of us here not only love stories uh, not only uh, love stories that have a good ending but every one of us here must have a story for life to make sense everybody in the world does Okay, they have to have some type of framework that gives meaning and purpose and definition to life and um, obviously here we have the biblical story uh, and that's the context in which we live but I'm here to share with you this morning that the world has lost its story The story that governs the world. Uh, The story that gives meaning and purpose and definition to life. Basically, uh, the world has lost it. I want to share with you from Scripture why I think it's vitally important that you be able to see the big 30,000 foot view of the Bible. You see the big picture. And that you realize you're living in that picture. And you need to share that story with others. It was about six or seven years ago that I listened to To a message by Dr. Tim Keller. And he's a pastor in New York City. And as he preached the sermon, he made the statement. He says, The way we share Christ, the way we share the gospel, is going to have to change. He says, The reason is is because people have changed. There used to be a time in America where there was what we call a Christ hauntedness that people had. Not that they had actually trusted Christ as their personal savior. But there were certain things about the Bible that people just kind of knew because they grew up uh, knowing about it. Maybe going to Vacation Bible School, you know, maybe hearing it from their parents. And so the idea of God, Adam and Eve, sin, uh, the flood, uh, the cross, the resurrection—people basically knew that general storyline. And then oftentimes what we would do then, obviously, is come along in our normal gospel presentations and we would give certain bullet points to people. God loves you. You're a sinner. Maybe it's the Roman's road. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And when you gave the bullet points, just gave bullet points to them, they were able to kind of connect the dots because they already knew the basic storyline. Keller says that that group of people who have that christ us is really shrinking in America. you are got to find a lot of it big time and sometimes conservative areas down south, South Alabama. Yeah, you're going to find people who know that storyline. And you can still come along and try to give bullet points. But I'm here to challenge you this morning that guess what? That group of people that know that storyline is really shrinking. And so instead of giving the bullet points, instead of, instead of giving the snapshot of the gospel, we've got to really wide angle this thing for it to make sense. You're going to have to really wide-angle this story. And you're going to have to give this complete story so that this person called Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, it has context and it really makes sense. You can't make that assumption anymore that people know it. My mother was in New York City. She walked up to a man that was standing up next against a tree, and she says, you know that Jesus died for you. And the guy says to her, y- you, mean that's, you mean that's already happened? Have you any idea? Now, having grown up maybe at Cisna Park, evangelical church here, we can make the assumption that most people know it. But we're living in a real postmodern secular society. And most people I'm sharing with you really don't know the biblical storyline. And so if you start out with Jesus loves you, he died for you on the cross, they may not get it. It's kind of like, if, have you ever come into your household and... You, your family's watching a movie, but you're about 30 minutes late. You ever been there, done that and got the t-shirt? Okay, you come in there, and you recognize a couple of the actors there. You've seen them before, but you have no idea what's going on. It's not till a commercial, right? Because you see, you've walked into the middle of the story. It's not till the commercial that... Someone in your family kind of, hey, you know, hey, this is what's happening here. I was watching a a TV news show the other day. (laughs) It was like 10 minutes left. My wife sits down at night because she likes to eat her ice cream. 10 minutes left, and I'm right there. Hey, what's going on? Okay, so I had to bring her, you know, in a real rapid pace, up to date with what's going on so she could understand. Well, walking into a situation like that in the middle of the story, not, maybe recognizing the characters, but not knowing the storyline is exactly what we do with people. When we all of a sudden just start out in the middle of the story with Jesus, guess what? They don't have any context. And you assume that they do. And they just don't get it. So I'm going to share with you, guess what? The Bible is one big story. Okay, it's one big story. It's a story that has a plot line. And the plot line is creation, the fall, the rescue, and the restoration. And every story has a plot line. And it always, every plot line is basically the same. Okay, I don't have time to go into it, but it's always basically the same because it flows from the ultimate story. The theme of the story is God's grace His redemption of sinners and also redemption of this world. And the last thing you need to know is that you're a participant in the story. So the Bible is one story. This Bible has a plot line. Creation, the fall, the rescue, and the restoration. The theme of the story is God's grace to sinners and his redemption of sinners and the world. And the last point is you are a participant in this story. We really need to see that. So you need to see the Bible as, as, as one story. And God... See, the primary character of the story is, is God. It really isn't us. Okay? Um, someone says in a book that I was reading, we, have, we call yearbook theology. You know what yearbook theology is? Okay, now listen. When you go and get a yearbook from when you were in high school, okay, and you were handed your yearbook... Everybody's all excited, right? What's the first thing you do when you get your yearbook? You go look for pictures of yourself. Okay, <laughs> oh, they in there. Now you don't necessarily let everybody notice that, okay? Because you're all at your desk and you got it, and guess what? You're flying through that book. Oh, there I am here on the basketball thing. Oh, there. I, oh man, my hair was messed up. Oh, it was, okay. Oftentimes. We have what we call, someone said, yearbook theology, where we think this book here, the Bible, is really mainly about us. Okay, But we are just a minor character in this story. God is the major character of this story. And I'm here to tell you that it's an incredibly beautiful story that you need to be able to engage people and share with people so that they wished what you were saying were true. And I'll get to that point in a minute. Now, how important do I believe that it is that you must share the whole story for the cross to make context? We're going to go to a passage of Scripture where you're going to see that Jesus did this. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 24. And we'll begin reading in verse number 13. Now the setting is, is that... Is there a little bit of echo here? Let me know if I, I need to do anything. The setting is, is that Jesus... This has been a pretty phenomenal week uh, up to this point. Uh, the Sunday prior to this was Palm Sunday and everybody was um, praising Jesus as he rode into the city... Uh, on a donkey and um, people were excited that Jesus was here because they knew he was going to be the Messiah that was going to overthrow Rome and he was going to set up his kingdom and um, then things went drastically wrong uh, according to the people that were following him because he ends up being arrested, beaten skirts and then he's killed. He's killed. And so these guys who are his disciples who are following him, two of them are just devastated. Uh, Imagine if your pastor were to come here next Sunday and he were to say, listen, I have a very, very important announcement to share with you. I want everybody to come in here. And you can see that there's mist in his eyes. He's really sad, and he's choking back the tears. And you're thinking that he's going to resign, that something major's happened. But he gets up and he says that the Grace Bible Church, as a church, this will be the last Sunday that it meets. We will no longer be organizing as a body of believers who follow Jesus Christ. And he were to share with you that over the course of the last couple of months, leading evangelical scholars have been debating and discussing certain things and what some evidence has been found that they've actually found the bones of Jesus Christ. And he didn't really rise from the dead. And everything that you had put your faith in, church, I'm sorry to tell you, we were wrong. Now you can't even imagine that, can you? You can't even imagine what that would feel like because you had put your hope in this person called Jesus and it's over. Your faith would have been dashed. Your faith would have died. Well, that's exactly how these guys felt. They'd followed him. They'd listened to his teachings. He had been crucified. Now, they had heard some rumors from some women that maybe his body wasn't there. But they, they were just lost. They were in despair. They were discouraged. They were depressed. They were distraught. They were disappointed. And that's the setting as we pick up in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, okay, a visitor is going to show up. Now, they're not going to recognize him. It's Jesus. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing them, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Hey, guys, uh, what, what are you talking about? And they stood still, there we go, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who do, does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, because Jesus oh, is always good about asking questions and getting people to talk. Uh, <laughs> what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be, death, to be condemned to death and crucified. Now notice the next phrase. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. But not a whole lot of stock is ever put into the uh, female gender back in that day. Verse twenty. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones, here we go, and slow of heart to believe, and you may want to circle, all, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And the key text here, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. Now when you see that term there, in beginning with Moses, that's not talking about beginning with the character of Moses there at Mount Sinai or the burning bush. It means there, beginning with Moses, it actually means it's beginning with the writings of Moses. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. And so it's beginning with the writings of Moses, beginning with the start of the Bible, beginning with Genesis, and then all the prophets. Okay, there was no New Testament at this time, okay? So it was only an Old Testament. So beginning with Genesis and all the prophets, he explained things concerning himself. So, verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted to see if he were going further or farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Two disciples whose faith had died. They said we had hoped that he'd be the one to redeem Israel. They were two disciples who, like every one of us, have a framework. They have a story upon which they base their life. You do. Everybody in Cisna Park, everybody in, in Buckley and in Chicago and Normal in New York, everyone has a story upon which they base their life that gives them meaning and, and gives them purpose and it gives them hope. Well, these guys did too. It just so happened, though, that the story upon which they were basing it was the wrong story. And most of the people that we engage, they have a story. You've got to have one. It's just not the right one. Now, you would have thought they had the right story. Since they were disciples, they were followers of Jesus, they knew a lot about the Old Testament. They would have the right story, but they were living in the wrong story. And so what Jesus has to do is, guess what? He's going to have to say, hey, guys, listen. Um, let me tell you the full story. You see, because this event that had just taken place, this crucifixion, did not fit into their story. It didn't make sense. And so... He is going to have to wide-angle this thing, okay? Because in order for the cross to have context, in order for the cross to have meaning, he's got to really wide-angle this thing. And what would become what they thought was the worst event that would be in their life, when they understood the full story, they'll understand it's the most wonderful thing that could ever have happened to them because it was going to be the thing that saved their soul. And I'm here to share with you, if Jesus thought it important enough, to wide-angle this thing and give it the full context so two disciples could understand it who were followers of his so that the bloody cross, which is at the center of the story, had context, then guess what? I believe that we have an obligation and responsibility to the people that we engage with the gospel that if you sense in any way they're not quite understanding what you're sharing, then guess what? then you need to wide-angle this thing and to be able to share with them the full story. And as I shared with you before, it's an absolutely beautiful story. You see, when you begin with creation, you are tapping into a desire that every single individual in the world has. When you share with them that this story begins with God and the, in the world that he created, and on this solitary planet called Earth, which is the most unique planet in all of the solar system, in the fact that it is the one that can sustain life. The God of the universe in His grace and His mercy and His love created the planet with mountains and streams and grass meadows. But the highlight of His creation is when He placed man and woman there. And the thing that made creation so beautiful was not necessarily the beauty that they would see, the sunrise, the flowing streams and the beautiful flowers, because we have that today, don't we? The same sunrise that Adam and Eve saw is the same sunrise that we see. Some of the same flowers that they saw are some of the same flowers that we see. When you look at earth, it's an absolutely places are absolutely beautiful and gorgeous and I could ask you what's maybe some of the most beautiful places that you've ever seen that you would be able to share I just my son lives in Costa Rica anybody been to Costa Rica here okay I guess it's not the hot vacation spot of uh, Cisna Park but I'm telling you it's an absolutely gorgeous place well it wasn't the beauty that made it paradise someone said it was the harmony because in this creation, do you realize that man and God, they were clicking and they could talk to one another. And Adam could hear his footsteps as he walked in the garden. And they could talk to God. And I, I can, I'm here to tell you that I know God's voice in a sense through his word, but I've never heard the audible voice of God. But they could actually talk to God. So there was perfect harmony with the Creator, but guess what? There was perfect harmony with one another. They had a perfect marriage. Wasn't any anger. Wasn't any dysfunctional uh, relationships. There wasn't any jealousy. Wasn't any strife. They had an absolutely perfect relationship. Kind of hard to imagine. And then also, they were in perfect harmony with creation. You didn't have to worry about storms, tsunamis. Hurricanes, sickness, AIDS, hospitals, phone calls in the middle of the night, sadness, disease, strife, worry. It wasn't there. It was perfect. Every single one of us in this room today desires to be back in that. We long to be back in Eden. And when you're sharing the wonderful, beautiful story that governs the entire world, it begins with a God and His creation that was in perfect harmony. And you're tapping into a desire of theirs. It's so a tapping of a desire of you, of yours. I could sit down with you right now and it, both of us, it wouldn't take us very long to talk before you have a story of, of brokenness, don't you? Of, a broken, of broken homes and Broken bodies and broken hearts. Broken lives. We all have a story. We long to be in a world that's not broken. But as you share the amazing story of God. You see that you take them to the narrative of what happened in the garden. And when you share with them what happened in the garden. And the disobedience of Adam and Eve. You see that it was because of their disobedience that something entered into their heart and the world began to unravel. And things were not the way they were supposed to be anymore. And all, what are they doing? They've got something they've never had before and that's shame and guilt. And they're all hiding in the woods trying to cover themselves with leaves. And as one person said, that's man's first attempt at religion. Man's first attempt at religion to cover himself. And the most tragic thing, maybe, that happened is it was passed on to their children. And and what happens? Cain ends up killing Abel. And the history of humanity is one of brokenness and dysfunctional relationships, disease and death, and hurt and strife and wars and tidal waves. It seemingly is unraveling. Turn on your evening news it will give you a picture of the brokenness and fallenness of the world. You've got to lock your doors at night because we live in a broken world. Well, what's God going to do? He takes off on a walk and he finds them. They're hiding. He asks them a question. Uh, Adam and Eve, hey, hey, where are you? And he's going to sit down with them. And those fig leaves that were drying up and would in no way cover them, he's going to take an animal that Adam had named. If you were Adam there, you had named this animal. And he's going to slaughter that animal so a covering could be made for them, which was a prototype, which looked forward to the day that, guess what, that he would die. And the God of this world, the author of this story is going to write himself into the story to rescue us. He's going to come to a cross. He's going to die. You know the story. He's going to be crucified for your sins and for mine. He's going to rise again the third day. Two most celebrated holidays in all of the world, Christmas and Easter, all over the world, centers around the person of Jesus. And a person who will trust him Receive him into his life for forgiveness of sins. The Bible says that he is then restoring this world. We hear that all. Oh, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. This world is your home. This is my father's world. Unless we ne'er forget that though the wrong seems also strong. God is the ruler. Yet. This is his world. He will restore it. Is his kingdom. We sing the song at Christmas time Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. That's not talking about him coming to earth the first time in a manger. Look at the third verse No more let sin and sorrow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his glory known far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found, far as, far as, that's talking about his kingdom. And guess what? When you get to that kingdom, it'll be like creation because there'll be perfect harmony because we'll see him face to face and we can hear his voice. There'll be perfect relationship between all individuals. There'll be no more wars, there'll be no more elitism, there'll be no racism. Because every tongue, tribe, and nation will come together in perfect harmony. And the Bible says He makes all things new. There'll be no more tsunamis that kill 250,000 people. There'll be no more fear. You won't have to lock your doors at night because you'll be in His kingdom. It's totally restored. Creation is the world you always wanted. The fall its the world in which we live. The rescue is an incredible love of the God of the universe entering into the story. And the restoration is the world we always wanted fulfilled. Dr. Tim Keller says, when you engage people with the story, you better get to the beauty of it. You need to show them that everything that they're looking for is found in Jesus, even though they may claim that it's not true. He said, you need to make their mouth water so that they wished what you were saying were true. Have you ever thought about sharing it that way? They may go away and say, I don't believe what you're saying, but if what you were saying were true, that would be absolutely incredible. He said that he went on an evangelism tour in England. And as he shared with people, he shared with them a particular story, and people kept coming up to him afterwards and said, oh man, man, I wish that were true, but I know it's not. (laughs) But I sure wish it was. He said, you mean you wish what I was saying were true? They said the way you said it. I wish it were true. So he told them the story. And I think it beautifully illustrates. In the 1930s, I think it was the 1930s, I have one of her books. There was a British mystery writer called Dorothy Sayer. Now, Dorothy Sayer was one of the first ladies who ever graduated from Oxford University. And what did she do? She wrote murder mystery novels about a sleuth, a detective named Lord Peter Whimsey, odd, lonely bachelor a bit eccentric, who went around solving all these murder mysteries in Great Britain. In these novels called The Lord Peter Whimsy Stories, Dorothy introduces a new character about halfway through. The new character, her name is Harriet Vane. Now, ironically, Harriet Vane just happens to be one of the first ladies in this book who ever graduated from Oxford. And you'll never guess what her occupation is. She's a murder murderer. Mystery writer. Harriet Vane enters into Lord Peter Wimsey's world, meets him, falls in love with him, realizing that he's not complete. He's a poor, lonely bachelor, kind of messed up and weird. And she loves him. She ends up marrying him, ends up completing ends up rescuing him. Keller says that when Dorothy Sayer looked into the world that she created... She had fallen in love with her character. And in order to rescue him, she had to write herself into the story. He said when God looks at the world that he created, guess what? He sees his creatures who've really messed it up. You're messed up. I'm messed up. And in order to rescue us, guess what he has to do? He has to write himself into the story. And the people of England said, oh, now that's probably not true, but I sure wish that it was. If you can get them to the point in sharing the beauty of the narrative, even if they don't necessarily think the claims are true yet, but man, I wish that were true. That's so incredible. You're sharing the what of the story. And then out of that will become the why. It's like, well, how can he be the only way? Or uh, isn't there many roads, you know, to heaven? And uh, what, can Jesus really do that? If you can share with them the beauty of the what, then answering the questions of the why will be far easier because they're going to wish what you were saying were true. How about you? Do you see the Bible as one story? That God's the main character. Do you see the Bible that it flows from like a plot line of creation? And you got, like in any movie or play, you got the main character introduced, the protagonist, God. You got the antagonist, Satan. And you got the minor characters, that's us. You got the setting, the Garden of Eden. Do you see that it flows then that a problem arises? There's a conflict. And it's been throughout all of history. And the climax of the story will be the rescue when the hero of the story writes himself in to rescue us so that you all live happily ever after. Duh! Don't you see where every book flows from, every play flows from? It all flows from the beginning and a problem that unfolds, and the hero or protagonist takes care of that problem, so they all live happily ever after. That all flows from the ultimate story. There are deep desires within the hearts of people. You can tap in on it and make them wish what you were saying were true. You're a character in this drama. Minor, but you're a character in it. Please go forth and tell the people of Cisna Park who are living in a wrong story, but they have these desires, tap in on it. And maybe they'll walk away saying, hey, (laughs) I don't know if those claims are true, but that's one incredible story. And I sure wish that it was. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity today to share your word. And Lord, we oftentimes can be really pretty boring in communicating this beautiful story. Lord, help us not to just give a snapshot of it. But Lord, help us to wide angle this thing. Help us, Lord, to see the beauty of it. Lord, we'll never share the beauty of it until we see the beauty of it. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would simply come in to you into this story, realizing that you're the king who loved them so much that he wrote himself in, who died and rose again and asked them to come. And I pray that you'll produce faith in their heart to trust you and you alone to save them. Thank you that we can meet this morning Do the work that you're supposed to do, Lord, in the hearts of all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.